whether or not you fill it out, it might just be helpful to have it sitting on your lap as you see the, the progression uh, through our, our talk this morning. Uh, today we find ourselves in the fourth week of our series on Kiev. We're looking at the different uh, kinds of fruits that the Spirit brings up inside of us. He's the one who's, who's, who's producing them. And each week we peel apart them one by one to see how they work and what they mean. And today we get to talk about the fruit of peace, but not keeping uh, loose of the overall sight. We want to enjoy a life that's filled with more good fruit. And, and today the, the Spirit's going to be hard at work uh, showing us this fruit of peace. As I thought about peace this week, there was, there's this section of history that kept coming up for me over and over again. It's before I was born, the mid to late 70s, and then when I was born, but I can't remember anything yet, the early 80s. Uh, you, you know, the tensions the U.S. had with the Soviet Union, you know, the, the Cold War, the, the arms race, and all that stuff. Um, you know, as I look back at it, not having lived through it, it almost sounds like playground talk. You know, my dad can beat up your dad, but back then it was, my bombs can beat up your bombs. Um, it was just this arms race to see who could get the bigger, bigger bombs first. And for a while, we had the upper hand. The United States understood that there was this problem. If, if, if the Soviet Union would launch their missiles at us, and if they would take out our missiles, we would have no way to retaliate. But if we launched our missiles without knowing what they were going to hit, we might attack a lot of civilian places, and that would be a political no-no. And so in the late, mid to late 70s, Congress approved uh, a new plan, a new development. And I'm going to impress you with it. Uh, up on the screen, I have the schematics of the Peacekeeper missile. Have you heard of that one before? Um, it's a kind of a blueprint uh, schematics. You got, anyone understand this at all? I, I assume not. Even if you look at it closely, which I did, there's a lot of stuff up there that, that's kind of beyond my pay grade, you might say. But there's two things that made the Peacekeeper missile pretty nifty. One of them was the guidance system. This missile enabled the United States to launch our missiles after they launched theirs, and then we could program them to hit certain targets. So if we launched a missile, we could tell it midair which targets we wanted it to hit. And that kind of hints at the second cool thing about this missile. I said targets because, uh, take a look here, inside of the missile, you, you got that little cone-shaped thing. That's a 300 kiloton nuclear warhead. Do you know what that means? I, I wanted to picture it. I was, in, I was intrigued. It's like taking this sanctuary, and for those not here, it's about 50 by 50 feet, about a 30-foot ceiling, roughly. Pack this sanctuary with TNT, top to bottom. Then take 200 more sanctuaries, just like this. Pack them with TNT, and that's what you have inside one of those cones. There are 10 of those cones inside the Peacemaker missile. This thing packed a punch. We could launch it, we could tell it where to hit, and those 10 nuclear warheads could split off and hit various targets. You know, my bombs can beat up your bombs. The reason I bring this up is because it highlights how we think of peace. You know, what does it take to keep peace? I'm not satisfied with peace until I'm sure that I can keep it with overwhelming force. And sometimes you might see that at play in your relationships or in your life or on a world scale, but that's the way we work. We try to keep peace through brute force. That's our first fill-in for today. It takes great force to keep peace. 
And unless you have a very strong force behind you, you're not going to be satisfied with peace and you're not going to feel safe with it. Now the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Not a world peace, not a peace between countries, not even a peace between you and the person sitting next to you, that that was taken care of with the fruit of love. To understand what the Spirit does with, with peace, you have to look at, at how it was phrased in, in the Greek language. Um, the Greek word for peace is irene, but more important than that is the way they use their idioms. You know, an idiom is it's like, if it's raining really heavy outside, you say, it's raining cats and dogs. And if you try to translate that literally into another language, they will look at you very weird. Uh, an idiom is a figure of speech, and they had some interesting ones for peace. They would phrase it like this. Um, they would say, to have peace is to sit down in your heart. Or to have peace is to be calm on your insides. Or my favorite is the one that's printed in your, in your uh, sermon helps there. Uh, what is peace? Peace, does, peace is when my liver is resting. They had a different idea of what organs did back then. But I can just picture two Greek guys. Hey, Demetrius, what are you doing? How are you doing today? Oh, fine. My liver is resting well. Thank you. And they have this weird conversation that we probably, you know, don't translate it literally. But it gives you an idea of what peace means and what they had the idea of peace back in the biblical days. Peace was an inner thing. It was this, this inside calmness that you have. And, and you know the feeling, right? When you're at peace, what do you picture? The beach. Corona in one hand and, and whatever in the other. You know, peace means you're, you're not tied to anything. You don't have to do anything. You can just sit. You can rest. And that's exactly what, what the, the Greek language brings out too. But what's the opposite of peace? You know, for every good fruit that we have, there, there's the bad fruit that goes with it. The opposite of peace is anxiety. Now, that feeling when your liver isn't resting so well. The things are turning around inside of you. Your stomach doesn't feel right. Anxiety. And, and when you feel anxiety, can you rest? I can't. It's hard to sleep at night when you're really anxious. When you're anxious, it means that you can't rest. You want to do something. You have to do something. If you're anxious about money, you're, you're staying up late thinking of ways to save money or make more of it. Or when you're anxious about health, you'll, you'll stay up, you'll be on the internet for hours searching symptoms and cures. You know, anxiety is the opposite of, of peace. And we're going to take those two fruits and, and keep an eye on them very closely as we see what the Spirit is doing. But, but that, that leads us to our second fill and say, what is peace? Peace is freedom from anxiety. Not necessarily the absence of things that make you anxious. There's a distinction. But peace is freedom from anxiety. It would be impossible to be free of things that make you anxious, wouldn't it? You know, just because you become a Christian and you have the fruit of peace doesn't mean that all of a sudden, bam, all anxieties are gone and everything that causes anxieties are gone. There's, there's plenty of examples in the Bible of people who, who went through very anxious times. We talked about Jonah already. There were the disciples when they were on the lake. You know, the, the big storm came up. They were anxious. 
I'm going to tell you a true story of two people, and I invite you to fact check as I go through them. Their, their story is told in Mark chapter 5. Uh, excerpts of that are in your worship folder, but if you want to follow along, either in a Bible or on a Bible app, if you have it, go for it. Uh, but this story of these two people really teaches us what peace is and what peace is not. And the story starts very simply with, with a well-respected man in his community. This man was a family, family man. He, he was married. He had a 12-year-old daughter. He was the president of his congregation. He was well-known. He was respected. He is slightly above your average Joe. People knew him. And I want you to picture this man. His name is Jairus. Now picture that you're in his household. One day, his daughter, 12, year old, 12 years old, becomes sick. Now, parents, what do you do when your child becomes sick? Doctor. Or maybe you might try medicine first. Whatever you have in the medicine cabinet. If that doesn't work, you go to the doctor. You're so concerned, you go to a specialist. You know, there's, there's this level, this progression that we go to. When Jairus and his wife tried that stuff, there was nothing that worked. No doctor, no medicine, nothing. There, there was no hope. Finally, the only conclusion that Jairus and his wife came to was this. The only way their daughter would be freed of this sickness is if she would die. Do you think there was peace in that household? Parents staying up at night knowing their daughter is going to die. There's nothing they can do about it. In modern terms, they would be searching the internet day after day, trying to find something, any case that might be similar, any hope for a cure. There is no peace as long as there is no answer. One day there's hope. Jesus is in town and Jairus goes straight for him, pleading to this miracle man, please, my daughter, she's sick, she's running out of time, please come help. And the crowd around hears because Jesus says, yes, I'll help. And I want you to picture this. Jesus, the miracle worker, is now going to go to this man's house to heal somebody. And so people hear, they start gathering and they start going. But inside the crowd is a woman who's about to unintentionally stop the parade. That's our second person in the story. You know what her name is? You know what the Bible calls her? Calls her a woman. And you know what that tells me? That tells me she was a nobody. Nobody really knew her. Nobody wanted to be around her. And, and that suspicion is confirmed by her medical condition. This woman for 12 years, had been bleeding, a kind of bleeding that no OBGYN could figure out. And the thing about bleeding was, according to Jewish law and, and ceremony, when a woman was bleeding, she was deemed unclean. And you know what that means. For 12 years, this poor woman had been by herself. Nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted to be near her. Nobody wanted to know her. Do you think she had peace? No way. In fact, she could do anything but rest in her liver. She, she was up and at him. She was doing anything possible. She spent her life savings. She went to countless doctors. They gave her remedies that they tried. Some of them did painful procedures to try to fix it. But after years of trying and years of spending her money, you know what she got? worse. 
Bleeding was worse. Pain was worse. All she had was suffering. Do you think there was peace? No way. And what she was about to do, she, she had this little plan, secret plan. What she was about to do was very risky. She, an unclean woman, thought to herself, I'm going to touch the clothes of this Jewish rabbi, this miracle man. She knew full well, someone unclean was going to touch someone clean. That was a risky plan, but that was her only hope. You look at various people in the crowd that day, we hear about two of them, but there were a lot of people following Jesus in this parade. Do you think all of them had peace? No way. Countless other stories from the crowd that day could have revealed the same sorts of things. Suffering, loneliness, sickness, death. Which brings us to our, our next fill-in. Keeping peace was never an option. You know why? Because in order to keep something, you have to have it first. And this world is in a shortage of peace. Not just the world peace, but the inner peace. Because our lives are full of nothing but anxiety. And you can't put the fault on God. That's not the way he created this world. It was supposed to be nothing but peace and, and joy and love in this creation. But that went out the window in the Garden of Eden. Peace was never an option. Because it was never something that we quite had. But at the same time, when Jesus enters the room, you are permitted to start asking some questions that you weren't allowed to ask before. And there's some unusual questions that come up in this section in Mark chapter 5. Questions that maybe shouldn't have been asked or seem out of place. The first question is, is when this woman is coming up to Jesus and she's unclean, she's going to touch him who is clean. And if you're the loving rabbi who doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, what will you do when you notice? Go away. Don't touch me. Shh. No, that's not what Jesus said. He asks a question that, that might seem out of place. He asks, who touched my clothes? And not just in a gentle whisper, did you touch it? Was that you? No. For the whole crowd to hear. And you know what this unclean woman does when he asks this question, who touched my clothes? She drops to her knees. She's shaking. She's afraid because she knows what she just did. The unclean touched the clean. But Jesus knows something amazing just happened, something that he doesn't want to go unnoticed, even if it means she'll be a little uncomfortable. And he spends so much time with this woman that for Jairus and his household, it's too late. By the time Jesus gets to the house, uh, she's already dead. In fact, she's been dead so long that the family had time to hire some professional mourners. That, that's kind of the custom of the day. When you were undergoing great grief and great anxiety, you would have people stand around your house and, and shout out in a loud voice and cry out loud to express your grief. And they were already doing that. A loud commotion was there. And Jesus asked them a question that was very unusual. He asked them, Why all this commotion? And the people, they shake their heads, they laugh at him. Jesus, don't, don't you know what this means? It means you're too late. It means the child is dead. It means that there's no hope anymore. It means you should show some respect. 
When Jesus enters the room, it gives us a chance to ask questions we wouldn't otherwise ask, questions that might seem out of place otherwise. When we say that peace was never something we could keep, let's go ahead and ask the question, why not? When a woman is bleeding for 12 years and she can't find a cure, and people tell her, sorry, you're stuck, well, why not? Why am I stuck? When he enters the house of a dead girl and they're weeping and crying, he says, why are you doing this? She's not dead, she's sleeping. We ask questions that we didn't ask before. And perhaps the best question you can ask is this. Who is this guy that confronts anxiety and takes it away? When you look at the Peacekeeper missile, you could say it was either the most powerful weapon we've ever had or the least powerful weapon we've ever had. Least powerful because we never used it. That was the design of it, though. It was designed to never be used. That's why it was given the name Peacekeeper. We wanted to keep what we already had. Jesus never claims to be a peacekeeper. In fact, he tells you quite the opposite. He did not come to bring peace but a sword. He came to, to disturb the peace that we already had, to, to break it up. He did not come to, to keep peace. He came to make it. And a little while ago, I tried to, to impress you with the schematics of that peacekeeper missile. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Uh, but I'm going to show you s some other schematics. In order to really be comfortable in the peace you have, you have to have some comfort in the force that's behind you, in the force that, that makes the peace for you. And, and we see exactly that when we see some of these words in, in Jesus that we read in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, th these are printed in your, in your worship folder. This is lifted straight from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And these are some of the highlights that, that Jesus hits. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Creation is by him, for him. He holds everything together. He is firstborn from among the dead. He's the fullness of God. Reconciled the world to God and he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. He did not come to keep anything. He came to make so when he, when, when he comforted that, that bleeding woman, he didn't say, woman, get away from me. He said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And when he walked into the house of Jairus and, and he, he saw that dead girl, he didn't, he didn't take the father and mother and pat him on the shoulder and say, there, there. He took the girl by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which in Aramaic means, little girl, I say to you, get up. You put all this together, and, and what do you see? <laughs> you see yourself asking a, a very interesting question. Who is this? And as the disciples asked on a different occasion, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this that can take away my anxiety? And the short answer is, he is the peacemaker. We'll go ahead and go to our, our last fill-in for, for the day.
Peace was made by Jesus. He didn't keep it. He didn't encourage us. He didn't fool us into feeling peace, but he made it. He made it. And as I look at, at the, what that means for me, you know, that, that's something pretty amazing because I, I can't make peace with God at all. If, if I made a covenant or if I made a treaty, I would break it in a matter of minutes. And every day, God has more and more reasons to be angry with me and more and more reasons to fire his divine arsenal at me. But Jesus changed that. He did not keep peace between me and God. He made peace. And the price was his own blood. You know, his, his blood shed on the cross for my sins. His resurrection gives me the righteousness I didn't have. That is the peace that I was missing. And we still need to send this home because you can still say to me, preacher boy, uh, something's wrong here. Jesus gave peace to, to that bleeding woman and to Jairus, but he hasn't healed me of anything. He hasn't raised any of my loved ones from the dead. What, what, are, you, what are you saying that Jesus gives to me? Let me just put it this way. You know that woman who was bleeding, who had no name? She went on to live. Don't you think that in this world she had other things that she would worry about eventually? Other sicknesses, eventually her own death, death of loved ones. There were things she worried about, but her anxiety was forever transformed because she was connected to the one who could heal her completely. Anything else along the way was very small by comparison. What about Jairus' household? You know, that little girl that he raised back to life, she was 12 years old. She was about to be a teenager. Lots of anxiety about to happen in that household. And yet, don't you think it all would have been different? If you were Jairus, if you were anyone in there, because you knew you were connected to someone who could raise you back to life. I'm not going to fool you. Your life is going to be full of anxieties and things that trouble you. I, we can't take away the source of the anxiety. But in Christ, we sure find freedom from it. And the last picture I'll send you home with is this. Um, the, the prophet Jonah, we, we heard about him in our, sec, in our first reading for today from Jonah chapter 2. Uh, you know, as long as Jonah was on that ship running away from God, there was no way he would find peace. And that storm illustrated it well. There was no peace running away from God. But once he was in the belly of that fish, he knew he was good. He knew that while the belly of that fish wasn't the best place to be, God was taking him to the place where he needed to be. And there was peace in his words. Some people today say, I'm not going to trust God. I don't believe in God because there's too many anxieties in my life, too many things for me to worry about. And a lot of times that person is still on the ship, still trying to find and make their own peace, still restless, unable to, to rest in their liver. And then there's other people who see anxieties in a different light. Those are the people in the belly of the fish where... Yeah, life isn't perfect. Life is still full of things to worry about. It's not ideal, but we trust that he's bringing us somewhere where things are better. A place where there will be no more worries and anxieties. And we know that we, you and I, are connected to the one who suffered and died on the cross and the one who declared victory over death in the empty grave. That's the one you're connected to. That is your peacemaker. And with that kind of force behind you, 
you can rest assured that that's a peace that will keep. Let's pray.